0: may be seated. As the curtain begins to uh, close on the drama that we find in Daniel and as we come to a close to this sermon series, we enter the very last section of the book of Daniel. That would be chapters 10 through 12. And what's interesting about these three chapters is that it really is the story of one single vision that Daniel had. And for today, as we look at chapter 10, we want to see that as as the chapter that prepares Daniel to receive the vision that will come in the form of the words of chapters 11 and 12. Now, today, what we want to do is to look specifically at Daniel's role, primarily in verses 1 through 4 and then in verse 12, And we find in chapter 10 three sections, Daniel the mourner, and then we find this heavenly messenger that comes to Daniel, and then we find a synopsis of the message. That is, what we find in the latter part of chapter 10 is a summary of what will be given in chapters 11 and 12. And so for today, we want to look specifically at Daniel the mourner. Now, you'll note that the sermon title has changed. We're looking specifically at Daniel's role in chapter 10, and he is in the role of one who mourns. And then next week, we'll look at the messenger, and we'll see that Daniel received a vision of God And then the following week, we'll turn to the actual message itself. Now, as we come to look at Daniel today, we want to to ask, where was Daniel when he received this vision, and what was he doing? And so we want to turn to Daniel's life. So you see on your sermon outline, change the title, The Mourner, and we'll be looking specifically at point one on your sermon outline. You know, from time to time, some of you come up to me and you say something like this. Tim, I am praying for you as our pastor. And I want you to know how significant, how heartwarming and how encouraging that is for me to know that people are praying for me as I seek to fulfill the calling that God has upon my life. And it's not only good to hear people say that, Tim, I'm praying for you, but it reminds me that I need prayer. I need intercessors to stand and offer prayers before the throne of grace on my behalf. And you do too. We all need others praying for us. Today is Mother's Day and we celebrate that. Mothers, do you need prayer? <laughs> Fathers, do you need prayer? Think about tomorrow morning, 8, maybe 7.30 for those early risers. You go to work, do you need prayer on your vocation? Do we need prayer as a church. now there are many lessons in chapter 10. There are really several lessons just in these few verses we'll be looking at today. But one lesson that has come to me is that Daniel stands once again as a model of a man who prays. In fact, Daniel shows us what intercessory prayer looks like as he prays on behalf of of the brethren in Jerusalem. So let's keep that in mind as we turn to this passage, Daniel chapter 10, we'll be reading verses one through 12. We'll read this again next week as we focus on the messenger, but I want us to have, have a taste of the entire passage, the entire first part of Daniel chapter 10. So we'll begin reading at verse one. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, A word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. And so I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words That I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me I stood up trembling and then he said to me fear not Daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Let us pray. Father, as we reflect upon this passage of Scripture that, at least in part, teaches us about intercessory prayer, I pray that you might impress upon us, as you have already impressed upon me, how significant, how important, how necessary is A ministry of prayer, not merely for ourselves, but for the church. So teach us today, we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin looking at this section of scripture, I would like to start by just simply reminding us of One formula that is often used to get to the bottom of the story, to really understand all the details of a story, oftentimes journalists, researchers, and even law enforcement will use this formula to understand a story, to understand what happened. And it's the five W's. The questions, who, what, when, where, and why. And what I want to do today is to apply that formula to understand Daniel's role in chapter 10. In this chapter that prepares him for the message or the vision that will come about the future. In fact, about the future conflict that will last until the final day, where God will be triumphant. And so first, let's look at the, at the first W, who did that? Now the that we'll get to in the second W when we look at what happened, but right now we're interested in the who, and it may seem somewhat unnecessary to even ask that question. Who is the one who is is acting in in these first verses, this first part of chapter 10? Of course it's Daniel, but notice this, something interesting. That the the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel way back in chapter 1, that Babylonian name, Belshazzar, is used. In other words, there is to be no doubt that the who in chapter 10 that that did that is Daniel the one who was taken from Jerusalem and exiled to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 the faithful young man who was so devoted to God he was unwilling to even be tempted to embrace the delicacies and the good life of Babylon He is the one that we see as the interpreter of dreams, the one who is the unlikely foreigner who was promoted to such a high position in the royal court of Babylon. It is the one who was the bearer of bad news uh, to a king. Because of the handwriting that was on the wall, it is the one who was entrusted with visions that showed the rise of the kingdoms of men and the conflict with the kingdom of God and the ultimate outcome of the kingdom of God. He is the one who was so concerned about God fulfilling his promise of restoration that he pled with God in prayer. To be merciful. He is the one who received the plan of God that we've been focusing on the last several sermons that showed that the restoration that God would bring about would be far greater than Daniel can ever imagine. The who is Daniel, Chazar? second what happened what is the that that the who did <laughs> and we see very clearly that daniel was engaged in a in a three week period of mourning we see this in verse 2 he was fasting that is he set aside those those delicacies that were his by right of the babylonian culture no meat no wine it's very reminiscent of that faithful young man devoted to God in chapter 1 who became a vegetarian so he would not be tempted to depend upon the good life of Babylon. And so here again we see Daniel now as an old man yet once again fasting and setting aside those delicacies in order to humble himself before God. And also we find that His period of mourning included setting aside those creature comforts that made life easier. The anointing is in reference to lotions that he would use just simply to make life more bearable. He set all that aside. And in verse 12, we know that he not only... He was mourning by fasting, but he was also in prayer. Look at verse 12 where it says that it's because of these words that Daniel had offered that the messenger came. So he had been praying for three weeks as well as fasting. And what really characterizes Daniel in the first part of chapter 10 is that he was humbled before God. He was mourning in the Old Testament sense as one who would be so grieved, one who would be so filled with godly sorrow that it was as if he was wearing sackcloth, one of the most uncomfortable things, by the way, to wear, and covered with ashes. And this is what happened And then secondly, what happened is that this mourning period of Daniel and the prayers precipitated the coming of this messenger, this heavenly messenger that we'll look to next week in particular. The messenger came because of Daniel's words and acts of humility that we find in verse 12. Who what? Thirdly, when? When did this happen? Well, verse 1 tells us that it was in the third year of Cyrus' reign as king of Persia. And we know that at the end of the first year of Cyrus' reign is when he issued the decree for the uh, exiles to go back to Jerusalem. And so the exiles that were allowed to return to Jerusalem had been in Jerusalem for two years the third year of Cyrus's reign. And that sets for us the, the time period. We also see something else about the when. In verse 4, we're told that it was the first month of the Jewish year, and that would be the month of Abib, which later became Nisan. Nisen. And then it was also the 24th day of the first month. And what could, what could be significant? About that, on the 14th day of the month of Abib is when the Israelites were to celebrate Passover. And then following that for seven days was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so from the 14th day until the 21st day, there was this major feast of the people of God that was to be observed in Jerusalem... And that was all about celebrating with much joy the deliverance of God. And that's part, that was the time frame where Daniel was not celebrating, where Daniel was not joyful, but he was in mourning. And we'll get to why that was so in just a moment. If we look at Ezra chapter 6, for example, and specifically the latter part of chapter 6, we find that in about 516 B.C., about 23 years after Cyrus's decree, the temple was finally rebuilt. And in Ezra chapter 6 and verse 22, they celebrated the first Passover in the rebuilt temple. And the text tells us that they kept the feast with much Joy. It had been two years since the beginning of the Reconstruction Project. And Daniel was in mourning. Fourth, who, what, when, and where. Where did this take place? Verse 4 tells us that the whole period of of Daniel's mourning, the, the coming of the heavenly messenger, took place while Daniel was literally standing, physically standing on the bank of the Tigris River. Two years after the exile's return, Daniel is still in Babylon. That's striking. And then fifth, who, what, who, what, when, where, why? Why did this happen? Now, why this happened, we'll explore by asking three more questions. <laughs> three more whys. And here's my first question. Why was Daniel still in Babylon? I mean, Daniel is the one who prayed so passionately in chapter 9 for God to bring about a complete and full restoration, to forgive his people, to, to, for God to do what he said he would do in Jeremiah chapter 25. That he would bring his people back and restore the city, the the wall, and the temple. And why in the world was Daniel, why was he not leading the first wave of exiles back back to Jerusalem? But he wasn't. The text is very clear. was, Was he too old to make the trip? Was he too feeble to do any of the work? Was he so old school that he really was no good to, to lead this, this new generation? No. You know why he was still in Babylon? It was God's plan. And here's the principle. Daniel was of greater use in Babylon than he would be in Jerusalem. You know what, sometimes we, we get things a little skewed. We think we'd be better of better use maybe doing this particular ministry. And in reality, God says, no, I want you to stay put where you are. Because you, you are of greater use to me where you are. Than where you want to go. You know, sometimes we can have guilt for not leaving everything and going to the mission field, right? The foreign mission field. And the problem with that is A, wherever uh, we are standing is our mission field, right? All of us are missionaries. And if you work with IFO, you're a foreign missionary. International friendship outreach. <laughs> so if you want to be involved in foreign missions, see Bruce, right, Bruce? And secondly, it's skewed thinking because God's calling is just that, God's calling. (laughs) And so we we see Daniel, with all expectations, should be in Jerusalem, but he's still in Babylon because it's part of God's plan. I'll never forget a missionary that we used to support. He was church planting in Australia. You may think, ooh, that sounds great. No, it's hard work, church planting in Australia. Bert Gibson, I believe, is his name. And he was here one of, to one of our missions conferences early on, and, and Bert said, we were talking, and I was sharing with him my story, but I went to seminary thinking that I'd be a foreign missionary, probably be a missionary in Japan, because my pastor was a missionary in Japan. And, but then I really caught a vision for the pastor, but I felt guilty. Graduating seminary and not being a foreign missionary in Japan felt like, man, you know, super Christians, they go be foreign missionaries in Japan. And Bert Gibson, I'm just sharing that. Of course, I realized that Little Rock's as big a mission field as the country of Japan. I also realized God didn't call me to be a missionary in Japan. He called me to be a missionary in Little Rock, called me to pastor this church. And Bert said, Tim, let me tell you the best thing that you can do for foreign missions or for missions in general. It's for you and your church to stay put where you are and be about the business of planting other churches so that we can increase the praying and giving base for world evangelization. And I went, wow, Bert, that makes sense uh, to me. God does call some to, to leave home and go over there. No doubt about that, praise God, but God calls most of us to stay put and to labor where he has us and to give and to pray to support missions here and there. That's our calling, or at least that's part of our calling with regards to this. And Daniel's calling was not to go to Jerusalem Even though he, can you imagine Daniel, the the statesman of Israel at that time, not being allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And he stayed there, in the text today, standing on the banks of the Tigris River. I hope he had a fishing pole in his hand. Why did Daniel find it necessary to mourn? You know, mothers naturally identify with their children. And just as I, I'm kind of getting that stage of life when I'm thinking back on when my kids were small. And, and oftentimes when I think back on when our kids were young and, and still in the home, you know, when they would get sick, it seemed to me like Renee suffered more than they did. She, as a mother, she just so identified with her pain. I mean, I, I didn't want her to be sick, but I was more about doing what needed to be done. It's kind of like, I don't really care how you feel. Well, I, I do, but, but you, you know how it goes. You, you, you know how fathers are, but you also know how mothers are. That's how God's made them. Praise the Lord for that. And here we find Daniel, not that Daniel was a mother, but he's identifying with the suffering of his brethren, who were back in Jerusalem, and we see the depth of his grief in that in this this season of celebration, the 14th through 20, 21st. Days of the month of Abib, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, celebrating God's deliverance. And you would think there would be an even greater celebration because it's not only looking back at the the Red Sea Exodus event, but what has God done? He has allowed for the exiles to, to be delivered from Babylon and to return to Jerusalem. But we find Daniel in mourning identifying with the suffering of those returnees there in Jerusalem. Just like a mother identifying. Because we find in Ezra and Nehemiah, those two books, not only the record of the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the city and the wall, but we also find a very clear depiction of the great opposition that had come upon the people of God trying to Rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. And after two years, the temple had not been rebuilt. Passover was not being celebrated. They were facing opposition. I would say they were in a spiritual battle back in Jerusalem. And Daniel was there mourning, fasting, and praying on behalf of his brothers, and I would go as far as to say that Daniel was in intercessory prayer, and I would even go further and say that he was in spiritual warfare prayer. Daniel's part was not to be a physical laborer in Jerusalem, but to be a spiritual warfare prayer in Babylon for the brethren, for the church. And why did the heavenly messenger visit Daniel? We're told in verses 1 and 2 that that part of the reason is for Daniel to have understanding about the future, and the future we find is one of conflict. And we'll look at that in the coming weeks to have that Daniel that needed that understanding. And in particular, next week we'll look at Daniel receiving a vision of the godly, a, a vision of God, of how glorious and sovereign and powerful God is that would encourage him, that would prepare him to, to hear this message about the conflict that lies ahead. But there's another part to the reason that the messenger came. Look at verse 12. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of you. Daniel's words. He was obviously in prayer, interceding, pleading with God on behalf of his brethren there in Jerusalem. And why? Because likely... After two years of work, Daniel had gotten the word of the intense opposition that the people of God in Jerusalem were facing. And his heart broke. And he suffered along with them in prayer, in in intercessory prayer, in spiritual warfare prayer, praying for the workers to be strengthened, praying for success, praying for the opposition to be halted and put in Their place. And the messenger came in response to this prayer. The the power of prayer to influence history is something that we see here. And listen to this quote by S.D. Gordon Prayer is striking the winning blow, service is merely gathering up the results. Professor Doug Kelly rephrases Gordon's. Quote, in this way, you win your battles the night before in your prayer closet. You win your battles the night before in the prayer closet. Do you know that that goes against every grain in my body? I'm a doer. I think I can manage the battle quite sufficiently. My tendency is to step out and charge without even thinking about prayer. That's my tendency. I have to be beat over the head, Time, My theology, no one has a a more robust theology about prayer than I do. No one understands, I feel like a politician here, no one understands. <laughs> no one, un- that's as political as I'll ever get. No one understands the importance of prayer more than I do. And yet, God still has to pound with his disciplined hand the fact that the battle is won the night before on your knees in prayer. The importance and power of prayer cannot be overestimated and why is prayer so powerful and effective is it because of the one who prays or praying itself is it the act of prayer is it the content of one's prayer is it the righteousness of one's prayer thankfully no to all of those questions we'd be in a world of hurt I could say much about prayer don't have enough time, I simply want to focus on this one principle about prayer is this. God ordains the prayers of his people, and he sovereignly works through those prayers as his means to bring about his purposes. And so when we look at Daniel there in Babylon, not Jerusalem, in prayer, what he was praying, we understand, as God ordained that, God ordained was sovereignly working through Daniel's prayer to affect history, to bring about his purposes. And that's true for Daniel, and that's true for you and me today. Another quote by Kelly. The sovereign God on his throne, who has planned all things from the beginning to the end, has arranged his plan in such a way that the prayers of the saints are one of the major means he uses to accomplish His final goal. Another uh, quote by Kelly. The God of the scriptures has great blessings stored up for his people. But he has so planned it that those blessings can only be released by the prayers of his people. And there Daniel was pleading before God, interceding on the brethren's behalf in Jerusalem... To release the blessing of of spiritual protection, to release the blessing of dealing with those enemies, to release the blessing of the work proceeding. Daniel models faithful intercessory prayer. And God sovereignly uses the prayers of his people because he's ordained them. Is that your view of prayer? Let me tell you, that's a robust theology of prayer. Just in that, just in the few things that I've said that reflect the truths of Scripture. If that's all we know about prayer, God ordains the prayers of His people and sovereignly uses them to bring about His purposes, we will know enough to pray and to pray confidently and with power. So, one lesson we have here is the importance of prayer. We pray. For all sorts of things, don't we? For our own needs and for all sorts of needs. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reason be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And though we pray for all sorts of things, and should pray for all sorts of things. The text draws us to a specific object. And we pray to God, but as far as the, the, the context brings us to a particular goal of prayer. And that is to pray for the people of God, to pray for the church. Because Daniel was praying intercessory prayer, in our context, for the church in Jerusalem who was suffering. We need to be praying for the church outside of the United States that's under persecution and that is oppressed by the enemies of the church. We need to be praying for the unity and health of our church and for churches in our presbytery and for all godly churches in our country and around the world. We need to be praying that that God would use us and use other churches to plant churches all over the place. We need to be praying for God... To work in us, not only to plant churches, but to revitalize churches that are struggling. And maybe, no, we need revitalization. We need renewal. We need to be praying that covenant and that the church universal, the true church universal would be faithful witnesses in culture and engage culture in a redemptive way. But as we look even more specifically at the text, as we drill down in the text, we see Daniel was praying for the church opposed by the enemy. And I would commend to you that the lesson in the lesson about prayer for us is this. We need to be praying for the church in these ways and many other ways that I've already said. But above all, in light of the text, we need to be praying spiritual warfare prayer. That our brothers and sisters would stand firm in the conflict that is raging in the heavenlies. Daniel, in the 6th century, receives a vision of the future that is about the conflict between Satan and Christ. And thankfully... with all praise to God, the end we already know. God wins and triumphs. But nonetheless, Daniel received that vision of the coming days. And like Daniel, we also have received that vision, that understanding of the conflict in the coming days. We're, we're still part of the coming days in a sense. We're looking to the future like Daniel looked at the future. And he was about praying, at least in this particular text for the spiritual vitality and health and protection of his brethren. And I simply want us to recommit to praying for one another in all sorts of ways, to praying for the church in all sorts of ways. But top of the list should be that we would pray in line with the passage from Ephesians 6 that Bill read earlier That we would stand firm and put on the full armor of God. We need spiritual protection. We need one another's prayers for spiritual protection. And let us recommit. You know, there's a story that that is told in the 16th century, John Knox, give me Scotland or I die, such a great figure, but he was known for his preaching and prayer. And the Roman Catholic, Mary, Queen of Scots, once said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. May we be so diligent in spiritual warfare praying that the enemies of Christ's church would say, I fear the prayers of those, those believers at Covenant Presbyterian Church more than all the armies. Father, give us a renewed commitment to pray, to pray for the church, and to pray for one another to stand firm, clothed in the armor that you so lovingly give us. Protect us, O God, we pray, that we would stand fast in Christ. In his name, amen. If you would take your hymnal, we're going to sing this uh, concluding hymn, hymn number 628, the first four.